to the great detectives of old-time radio. From Boise, Idaho, this is your host, Adam Graham. If you have a comment, email it to me, box13 at greatdetectives.net. Follow us on Twitter at Radio Detectives, and check us out on Instagram, instagram.com slash greatdetectives. I do want to encourage you to check out my wife's business, Ashira Clips, at lilarose.biz slash Ashira. That's L-I-L-L-A rose dot biz slash Ashira, A-S-H-I-R-A. There she sells a wide variety of different hairpins, headbands, and hair clips. And it's a great time to purchase them during the summer months here in the Northern Hemisphere, where the weather can be hot if, uh, you know, someone with uh, long hair. There's a wide variety of different options uh, in different styles to fit different tastes that can make wearing long hair cooler while still being stylish. Check it out at lilarose.biz slash ashira. Well, now let's get into this week's episode of Philo Vance. The original air date is May the 24th, 1949, and the title is The Hurdy Gurdy Murder Case. <laughs> You dissy, don't you dare. Laura, it's for your own good. He's no good. Everybody knows he's no good. I don't need a nursemaid, and if I did, it wouldn't be you. Laura, don't you see? I happen to like Eddie Mills. I like him very much, and I'm going to see him as much and as often as I want to. And I'm telling you right now, that's going to be an awful lot. Laura, be reasonable. Reasonable? (laughs) What makes you think you're reasonable? What right have you to dictate to me? John, I've got to look out for myself. All right, you love me, so you say. I do, Laura, listen. All right, all right, you love me, you want to marry me. How much do you make as a chemist? Three thousand a year, but I've been promised... Three thousand a year, but you've been promised a raise. Well, that's fine, that's great. Eddie Mills makes three thousand a month. But he isn't for you, Laura. Can I make you see that? Don't you realize he... Oh, stop the lecture for a minute. Hello? Laura, this is Eddie. Oh, Eddie. Hello, honey. What's going on that I should know about, Laurie? I can't tell you. It'll, well, it'll flatter you too much. Take a chance. Come on, tell me. Mm-mm. Can't. Somebody there? That's right. That jealous boyfriend of yours? <laughs> the first part's right. But you've taken over the second part. Well, thanks. Say, what's he look like, this chemistry genius? <laughs> I'll tell you when I see you. He uh, wanted to know the same thing about you. Get off the phone. Maybe I can meet him someday. Oh, shut up, John. Um, I'll see you later, Eddie, and I'll talk to you then, okay? Sure, sure, baby. Anything you say. I'll be over the usual time. Bye. Bye. Laura, listen. Oh. I don't want to fight with you. All I want to do is show you how wrong you are about Eddie Mills. Yeah. He's not serious. You're just another girl in his life. You think so? Of course. He'll throw you over as soon as a new girl comes along. I don't believe it. But he better not. He knows what's good for him. He better not. If you know what's good for you, you'll stay out of my affairs. I'm not interested in what's good for me. I only care about what's good for you, and it's not Eddie Mills. 
and I'm going to do something about it. Mr. Mills, you sent for me, I'm here. Let's get down to business. Suits me, Joe. You've got quite a reputation, I understand. I do a job, I get paid, and I get things done. That's why I sent for you. I want something done. But I want it done carefully. If I wasn't careful, Mr. Mills, I'd be in jail long ago. I'm careful, I'm quick, and I'm expensive. How much? How much is it worth to you? Let's not go into that kind of routine. How much do you want to do a big job for me? How important is the guy? Very important. The guy is me. You want me to kill you? No, not exactly. I want you to see that nobody else does. I got a lot of enemies. I'm hiring you as a bodyguard. Oh, I get it now. I'm to be with you all the time, huh? That's right. Except for the times when I'm out for a social evening. Like tonight when I'm going to see a girlfriend of mine named... Laura Waite. Okay. You got a deal, Mr. Mills. Only when you're fooling around with dames, that's the time you need a bodyguard most. Evening to you, Tony. Good evening. How you was it, Pat? You want to turn in the crank on this organ of mine for a while? <laughs> no. No, thank you. I've got my own job to do, Tony. The only difference between you and me is that your arm gets tired and my legs get tired from standing out in front of this apartment house. You keep it busy tonight, Pat? Ah, don't think I've called three taxis for people all night. 200 apartments in this building, but very few people going in or out this evening. Uh, it looks like it's going to be a mean night, Tony. Hey, the stormers are coming up, Pat. You hear that? Yeah. Stormers are coming up as sure as I'm talking to you. That's more than a summer storm that's giving me this creepy feeling, Tony. It's like something closing in on the street. So hot and close. That's all right. Can't tell exactly what it is. Well, I wouldn't worry about it too much, Pat. Guess I just awaited this hidey goody man down at the block a little. See you on the way back. I'll see you later, Tony. Oh, evening, sir. Get your cab. Not right now. Whew. Close out tonight, isn't it? Uh, it is that. Say, uh, you're Mr. Mills, aren't you? That's right. You got a good memory. Sure, sure. I've, I've seen you call on Miss Waite lots of times. <laughs> I always remember names and faces. How is Miss Waite? Haven't seen her tonight. Well, she was all right when I left her just now. You gotta smoke a cigar. You got a match? Jules. Uh, right. uh, never mind. I got some of my own. Pretty sure I have. I forgot for a minute. 
You know, it's a funny thing about tonight. Tony, that, that's the fellow with the hoodie. Oh! Get a doctor! Mr. Somebody get a doctor! Mr. Help! I've been shot! I, uh, help! Help! Somebody help! There's been a murder! Help! Police! Help! Miss Deering? Yes, Mr. Vance. Ready to continue with the notes on the butterfly murder case? Not at the moment. I've been asked to write a paper on trapping criminals from the private investigator's viewpoint. Think I ought to do it? I don't know why not. Good publicity. Perhaps, but in citing case histories, I might give someone with a criminal mind a good idea of what to avoid if he wants to get away with murder. That sounds logical, Vance. On the other <laughs> hand, if I point out how the most carefully planned crimes have been exploded by deduction and reasoning, it might serve as a warning. Look, Vance, stop switching logic on me. You're making it impossible for me to agree with you. <laughs> I'm sorry, Miss Deering. However, I didn't hire you as my secretary assistant to agree with me. I rather thought that... <laughs> well, hello, Markham. Come on in. Hi, Mr. Markham. Glad you're in, Vance. Hello, Miss Deering. How are you? Fine, I think. I'll have to ask Vance to make sure. How am I, Mr. Vance? You are excellent. I am excellent. <laughs> good, good. <laughs> Vance, may I talk to you for a moment? I don't have much time. District attorneys are always in a hurry. What's on your mind, Markham? A murder, Vance. A mysterious murder. A gangster named Eddie Mills was killed last night. The story will be in the afternoon papers. Let me have it now. I'd rather listen than read. All right. He was coming out of the Darling Apartments... It was a dark night, you remember, and as I understand it, the streetlights were out. Lightning had hit the power. Well? Mills came out, spoke to the doorman a moment, lit a match to apply it to his cigar, and a shot rang out from somewhere and killed him. I see. The light from the match showed Mills' face and the killer shot. That's the normal explanation of what happened, Vance. But our police experts have figured that the killer stood far down the block, too far for him to recognize Mills' features. Oh, then there's the possibility that Mills was killed by mistake. That's rather a remote possibility. Too many people wanted him dead. In addition to his underworld enemies, we happen to know that he was seeing a girl named Laura Waite, much to the displeasure of her boyfriend, Johnny Martin. As I understand it, there was no way for the killer to know it was Eddie Mills that was lighting his cigar. None whatsoever. Unless the doorman signaled somebody. The doorman was standing next to Mills when he was shot. You can forget that. The doorman wouldn't be fool enough to risk being hit by a bullet that you say was fired from down the block. If he had identified, or rather put the finger on Mills, he'd have gone inside the lobby or out of range in any event. Yeah, well, that's true, of course, now that you mention it. Uh, one other angle, Vance, and then I'm through with information. A hurdy-gurdy man had just passed the apartment door and was standing down the street a bit when the shot was fired. You have a description of him? They have down at headquarters, but I was in such a hurry to come over here, I just glanced at it. About 45, dark, and his name is Tony. Well, that will do as a startup, Markham. Thanks for letting me in on the case. Oh, Miss Deering. Uh, yes, Mr. Vance. I'm going out. Have you anything to do while I'm gone? That all depends. How long will you be gone? Until I find the killer in the hurdy-gurdy murder case. Look at that cute little monkey the organ grinder has. Wait a minute, I want to drop a coin in his cup. Uh, thank you. Uh, thank you very much. Oh, look, look, Bill. Look at the way the cute little monkey lifts his cap. I'm going to give him another dime. Do as I like. <laughs> I want to see him do it again. There. All right, uh, maybe stop it. Give me your hand. Look at him. Isn't he cute? Uh, thank you, hey. Uh, thank you very... 
Look at the organ grinder. I got Help it. somebody. Look at I the organ grinder. He's got his leg stuck in his back. <laughs> Look, Miss Wade, I've come to your apartment because I'm convinced you can help us. There have been two murders in the last 24 hours, and you are the key to both of them. Well, I'm sorry, Mr. Markham. I know Eddie Mills had a lot of enemies, but that poor organ grinder, I've never seen him, and I don't know why anybody should have wanted to kill him. Let's get down to cases. Maybe we can get something that way. Are you quarreled with your friend Johnny Martin about Eddie Mills? That's right, isn't it? Yes. We're looking for Martin now, but I want to establish one fact first. Did Martin know what Mills looked like? No, they'd never seen each other. Johnny asked me for a description of Eddie, but but I wouldn't give it to him. You wouldn't tell him what Mills looked like because you were afraid of what Johnny Martin might do? Yes. Ah. Johnny insisted that Eddie was no good for me, and how right he was. Uh, what do you mean? Eddie Mills came to see me the night he was murdered to tell me that he couldn't see me for a while, that he was going to be too busy. Oh. Mm-hmm. Um... Is there a back exit to this apartment? Yes. Yes, there is. It's through the kitchen. Then you might have gone out the back way, slipped down the stairs, and... Oh, hello, Vance. Hello, Markham. And this is Miss Laura Waite, I imagine. That's right. I'm Philo Vance, Miss Waite. Uh-huh. I heard your voice in here, Markham, so I came right in. It's all right, Vance. It's all right. While the police are looking for John Martin, I decided to question Miss Waite again. Only to find she claims to know nothing about the murder of either Eddie Mills or the hurdy-gurdy man. So far. I'm inclined to believe that when we pick up Martin, we'll start getting some results. Perhaps. But I'll tell you where Martin is right now, if you want to know. Want to know? Of course I want to know. Where is he? At headquarters. What? Oh? I was at headquarters in the fingerprint department when they brought Martin in. I guess they didn't know where to reach you. Well, that's a relief. I was afraid for a moment that was going to be another of your long-range predictions. <laughs> oh, no, Mark. As I understand it, they picked Martin up as he was leaving his chemistry shop. I was more interested in whether any fingerprints were found on the knife that killed Tony, the organ grinder. Don't tell me there were. Uh, were there, Mr. Vance? No, but that may mean something just the same. Right now, I'd like to know this. Granted that Eddie Mills was not shot by mistake, how could a killer know it was he who stood outside this apartment building? He uh, might have had a description of Mills. It would do no good at the distance the killer stood when he fired. No, it was something else. When I find what that something else is, I'll know better what my next step is. Uh, what interests me is why the organ grinder was killed. Anyone could have done it. There was a crowd around him, and anyone could have slipped a knife into him without being seen. But why? Why kill the organ grinder? That seems quite simple on the surface, Markham. He was on the street when the killer fired the shot that murdered Eddie Mills. The organ grinder was removed because the killer believed the organ grinder had seen him. But that's impossible, Vance. Is it? I don't see how. The organ grinder couldn't possibly have seen the murderer the night before. Because the night was black and the street lights were out? No, Vance. Because the hurdy-gurdy man was totally blind. This is District Attorney Markham. The hurdy-gurdy murder case opened with the shooting of Eddie Mills, racket chief. Mills, we have learned, had incurred the enmity of Johnny Martin, sweetheart of Laura Waite, when he took Laura away from Johnny. But then, according to Laura herself, decided he'd be too busy to see her for a while. 
Mills was killed from a distance on a dark street on a dark night, just as he attempted to light a cigar. And an organ grinder on the same street was murdered the next day. I have left Vance with Laura Waite while I've gone to investigate a report that a hired killer was gunning for Mills. There's a little later. What am I supposed to do, Vance? Break down and confess just because you sit there staring at me? No. Hmm. And although I'd like to compliment you, Miss Waite, I wasn't staring at you. I was thinking... Oh, you would like to compliment me, though. Hmm? Well, that's something. I imagine there's quite a good deal I could say. Your color scheme, for one thing, very admirable. Oh, you like green? When it isn't overdone. Excellent contrast for your black hair, Miss Waite. <laughs> I don't think you'd notice anything personal about me. Oh, please, Miss Waite, let's understand something. I was a man long before I was a private investigator. <laughs> You're very attractive. That's funny. You know, I was thinking the same thing about you. Maybe uh, you and I ought to do something about that, Vance. Any suggestions? What's on your mind, Vance? Hmm? Right at the moment, my mind is being completely uncomplimentary. Oh? It wants to know whether you knew the organ grinder who was murdered. No, I never saw him in my life. I, um... Like the subject we were discussing much better than the new one, Vance. Couldn't we just... Oh. Johnny. Johnny, I thought you were at police headquarters. I'm out on bail. I had nothing to hold me on. I came straight here, Laura. Oh, this is Mr. Philo Vance, Johnny. John Martin, Philo Vance. How do you do? You're quite tall, Miss Waite. I've been meaning to comment on that. How tall are you? Oh, um, 5'10". Almost as tall as Johnny. Hmm, he's about 6'2", I imagine. And I also imagine you'd like to know what that has to do with the solution of the hurdy-gurdy murder case. That's not our business. It's yours and the police's. Tony the organ grinder was a big man, too. I should say he was at least six feet tall. Well, what about it? Nothing. Nothing right at the moment. Miss Waite, I have to apologize again for this mind of mine. It goes off on tangents with little or no provocation. <laughs> Anytime it goes off on a tangent that includes me, Mr. Vance, come back. I'll, uh... He delighted to see you. Well, Vance, we got one break on this case anyhow. That's the reason I phoned for you to come right down here. What happened, Markham? You know that Eddie Mills had a lot of enemies, underworld enemies. In fact, he'd been threatened, we understand. Now, we've picked up a hired killer named Joe Egan, and we're holding him inside. Really? How tall is this Egan? Oh, I don't know, five foot at five or so. Well, in that case, I don't believe he had anything to do with our murders, Markham. I don't understand. I'm positive that whoever killed Eddie Mills killed the organ grinder. A knife was used on the organ grinder. It was found slanted downward, high on his back, between the shoulder blades. You think only a tall person could have stabbed him? Uh, suppose he was bending over. Ever see the handle on a hurdy-gurdy, Markham? It's placed so that the right hand can turn it when the operator is in an upright position. No, Tony wasn't bending over when he was stabbed. Uh, tell me one thing, and I'll wait until you're ready to explain the rest. Why was Tony murdered? Because the murderer didn't know he was blind. The killer thought Tony might have seen the shooting of Eddie Mills. That's what I thought, but I just wanted to make sure. Well, what's our next move, Vance? I'll tell you what I want you to do, Markham. As soon as it gets dark, meet me in front of Laura Waite's apartment house. You'd rather I didn't ask why, of course. Not at all. I'm going to prove something to you. I'm going to prove how a murderer recognized Eddie Mills when he couldn't possibly see his face. <laughs> Uh, Johnny, you busy in the laboratory? 
A little bit? Why? A fellow named Philo Vance out here. He wants to see you. Oh, let him come in. Thanks. You can go in, Mr. Vance. Thank you very much. Hello, Mr. Martin. Vance? Tracking down the wild chemist in his native haunts? Something like that. Quite a laboratory you have here. It belongs to the firm. I only work here. How can I help you? I want you to check some facts. Are you familiar with salt of barium nitrate? Reasonably. Why? What would happen if it were placed in combination with red phosphorus, SB2, S3, and a combustible like potassium chloride? You're a clever man, Vance. What can you prove now that you know? Nothing yet, Mr. Martin. But you said I was a clever man. So you wouldn't want to wager I won't be able to prove it, would you? No, no, sir, Mr. Markham. I've been at the door here all evening like always, and I ain't seen a sign of Mr. Vance. That's odd, Pat. He said he'd see me here as soon as it got dark, and that's been over a half hour. I guess he'll be along soon, though. I guess so. Yes. Ever get bored standing here at night, Pat? Oh, sometimes. Sometimes some of the tenants come along and we talk. Sometimes visitors stop to chat a while. Tony, the hardy-gurdy man, he and I used to talk quite a bit evenings. Ah, he sure was a nice fella. Favorite around here? Oh, with everybody that knew him. Take that Miss Laura Waite's boyfriend. Uh, What's his name? You mean John Martin? Ah, that's the fella. Yes. He used to talk to Tony a couple of minutes every time he saw him. But I sure hope you find out who killed Tony, Mr. Martin. I say there's a cab stopping out front. I'll go open the door. That's Vance and his secretary, Mr. Ring. Oh, Vance. Hello, Markham. Finally got here, eh? Sorry I'm late. Hi, Mr. Markham. We're both sorry. It's all right. I had to see John Martin at his laboratory and then go back to my apartment to do some elementary chemistry. Miss Deering will demonstrate. Now? That's right. You go up to the doorway of the Darling Apartments. Yes. Stand there, wait 50 seconds, and then do as I told you. Right, Vance. Now, Markham, come with me and we'll take care of the elementary part of the hurdy-gurdy murder case. All right. In other words, I'll show you how a killer recognized Eddie Mills without seeing him. I have the streetlights out, just as you asked. So I noticed. The situation is the same as it was the murder night. We're walking to approximately the same spot where the police experts believe the murderers stood. Yes, it's not much further down the street. I know. As soon as we get there, we're both going to watch the doorway where Miss Deering is standing. Although we can't see her now because of the darkness. Yes, I know. Oh, Vance, Pat, the doorman was telling me what a favorite the dead organ grinder was with everybody, including John Martin. Really? That's very interesting. Well, now, let's see. This is about the spot where Eddie Mills' killer must have stood. Uh, I'd say so, yes. And it's just about 50 seconds since Miss Deering walked through the door. Watch, Markham. All right, but I don't see... Vance, a match was just struck at the doorway. Notice anything peculiar about it? Yes, it, it burned with a green flame. What is that? That is the way the killer knew it was Eddie Mills who stood outside the doorway, Markham. That green flame. I only want to know one more thing before I turn our murderer over to you. Just one more thing. And Joe Egan, the hired gunman, can tell me that. Let's go see him. Questions, questions. All I have is questions. Five hours now, and cops just ask me questions. They get the same answers to the same questions, but they ask them over and over again. And you're no better than them, Mark. Now, Joe. You ask the same ones they did. Maybe I'll ask some different ones. Yeah, you're no better than the cops, Vance. You and your reputation. Joe, Mr. Markham has your record. You're wanted in three different cities. So? You're going to be sent back to one of them. All I'm asking is this. Were you ever in Miss Waite's apartment? That I'll answer. 
No. I never was, and that's no kidding. That's what I thought. Now, Markham, one more visit to the girl's apartment and you can have your killer and the proof you'll need for a conviction. Miss Wade, you quarreled with Eddie Mills, didn't you? What if I did, Vance? Just asking in passing, that's all. Oh. You, Mr. Martin, you had strong reason for disliking Mills. Well? All right, go on. Don't be belligerent, Mr. Martin. I'm merely being factual. I'm making no accusations. Yet. I want to describe why and how Tony, the hurdy-gurdy man, was killed. And in so doing, prove who our double murderer is. Go on, Vance. Well, Tony was a tall man, about six foot. Yet a knife was plunged high in his back between the shoulder blades. You're tall, Mr. Martin. Six two, you once told me. That's right. You were a chemist. You knew you had mixed a curious combination of combustibles for the matches in Miss Waite's apartment. You knew they burned with a green flame so that it would flatter her coloring. She probably asked you to do that. Well, what if I did? What does that prove? Nothing, except that anybody using those matches outside of this apartment would reveal himself as having been inside this apartment. In order to get the match, of course. Exactly, Markham. Yes. When Eddie Mills lit a match outside the door downstairs, the killer saw the green flame and fired. Then, lest the organ grinder had seen the shooting, it was necessary to dispose of him the next day. But the organ grinder couldn't have seen the shooting. He was blind. We found that out after the murders, Markham. And so did the murderer. That's why our killer has to be Miss Laura Waite. I'm not as puzzled as I generally am when you wind up a case, Vance, because I went through most of it with you. But there are some things I'd like to know. What, for instance, Markham? Well, I realize that Laura Waite was the only person concerned in the murders who didn't know Tony was blind. That's what you said. But don't forget that Joe Egan, the hired killer, couldn't have known that either. Egan had never been in Miss Waite's apartment. I believed him when he told me that. If he'd never been there, he couldn't have known about the green flame on the matches, could he? In fact, the only other person who could have known about the matches was John Martin. And, of course, it was I who told you that Martin used to talk to the organ grinder the nights he came to visit Miss Waite, so he knew Tony was blind. You helped me a great deal with that information, Markham. All the facts pointed to one big fact, that the killer was Laura Waite, who was tall enough and strong enough to have put the knife in Tony's back. Yes, her confession proves you were right, Vance. She's reached the end of her murdering string now. She's reached the end of her string, and we've reached the end of the hurdy-gurdy murder case. Thank you.
Welcome back. I did not actually know what hurdy-gurdy referred to before this episode, so it was nice to learn that. Also, great to hear Joan Alexander back as Miss Deary. I kind of wondered if we were going to hear from her again the rest of the series. The solution made sense. It was practically a pure puzzle mystery. I will say that when Vance was having to describe characters' height, it was a bit awkward. It was, I guess, deemed necessary for radio. It does seem like there could have been a better way to represent their height. And in less of an obvious sort of, uh, I'm calling this out that this is a clue sort of way. I did actually find the discussion Vance was having with himself to be an interesting one as to whether he should make this presentation about cases that have been solved. And it's something that I've thought about a few times with not Philo Vance, but with the more realistic detective series. Things like Dragnet or Tales of the Texas Rangers. I find myself wondering, are you sure that you want to reveal that much detail about police methods? Because I was kind of thinking, you know, could it be a risk that criminals would watch or listen to one of these type of programs, you know, back in the day, obviously. I'm not worried about this from a historical perspective. Could it be possible that you had criminals listening and improving their methods based on what they heard? Or could it reinforce the sort of crime doesn't pay sort of message that uh, was referenced Philo Vance, and I I gave this some thought as I was listening to the episode, and my gut is that it probably is not going to help criminals improve their methods. The thing with most police methods, as a general rule, they are public record in one way or another if you know how to find them. So probably to the type of criminals who would be masterminding plots, there's nothing they're going to hear on an episode of Dragnet that's going to make them reconsider or adopt new plans that they weren't going to adopt anyway based on their reading of perhaps obscure, but nevertheless public information. Now, that doesn't mean that you wouldn't find some isolated case where someone improved their crime or did something slightly differently and it had a positive effect. But I think the odds are limited. I think the crime doesn't pay angle is at least a bit more plausible. It would be great if everyone followed the law because of personal morality, a sense of civic responsibility, or some spiritual commitment. There are a lot of people for whom the motive for not breaking the law is they're afraid of getting caught. And some people who might have more positive motives in general may have a few moments where what stops them from doing something illicit is they don't want to deal with the consequence of being caught. So putting into people's minds that law enforcement is well-organized, competent, intelligent, even if they're not Sherlock Holmes-style geniuses, 
and equipped with an entire catalog of crime-fighting tools that uh, you may know little about, but which could easily end your freedom. That image hammered home often enough may have an effect on some people. It may have an effect sometimes. I think there is something to be said for the idea that it may also encourage some people to uh, try a little bit of lawlessness. They get the idea that all policemen are Irish stereotypes who steal apples and consume massive amounts of donuts. Now we turn to listener comments and feedback. And we have an email from Tim who writes in regarding the Cardinal murder case. Unless I'm mistaken, Philo minced a big clue right at the beginning of the show. The butler James Lyons went by James. British butlers go by their last name, not their first. He should have been called Lyons. That was a big tell that he was not British. Well, thanks so much for the comment, Tim, and I did not catch that. But to be fair, I'm in the generation that grew up with uh, the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. And their English butler was named Jeffrey. So are you saying the Fresh Prince lied to me? Well, maybe the show did. I'm not certain. It'd be curious to see to what extent is that tradition still followed, or has it declined in some areas and not others. Sometimes a tradition will be dead in real life and, you know, society as a whole no longer does things that way. But it will still be, continue to be portrayed as if that is going on in popular fiction. But that very well may have been a clue that was missed. Thanks so much for the email, Tim. And then uh, we have an email from Nancy who writes... I know I'm way behind at the moment, but having just listened to the herringbone murder case on Philo Vance, I have to disagree with Adam. I was a sower for many years and have seen and rejected as too complicated double-breasted garments that were made to button to both left and right. As a way to increase wear longevity, I even purchased a dress designed that way one Easter. Looked very sharp and came in handy for disguising a spill when you couldn't change immediately. Longtime fan and Patreon Shamus. Well, thanks so much, Nancy, and appreciate the comment, your support, and even if you've got a bone to pick, or shall I say a herring bone. Okay, that would prob uh, pun probably would have worked better on Boston Blackie, but again, thanks so much for the comment, Nancy. Then we have a comment from Mark. Mark writes, it's Penny Marshall's brother who was her famous relative. You'll find the story if you Google Penny uh, Gary Marshall, and that's Gary with two R's. Marshall was a, an actor known for such fantastic work as uh, Scooby-Doo and Kiss Rock and Roll Mystery, uh, New Year's Eve, and Beaches. And I should probably uh, look at what his actual most well-known credits are rather than just grabbing a few couple ones off of his filmography, which is pretty extensive. So in all seriousness, it's stuff like uh, the Odd Couple television series, Mork and Mindy, and Pretty Woman that he was known for in terms of his... Uh, creative work. And it's actually kind of interesting that they have a chart for Gary Marshall's uh, filmography, which I've not seen uh, others on Wikipedia like this, where 
They've got writer, producer, actor, director boxes. For each production that he worked on, they have one, two, three, or all four boxes marked. So, very versatile, did a lot of work in the industry. Anthony Marshall was, you know, important, you know, got his kids in the business, but was not particularly famous. So, I stand corrected. Thanks again so much for the comment. Appreciate it, Mark. Well, now let's go ahead and thank our Patreon supporter of the day. Thank you to Blaine, Patreon supporter since January 2017, currently supporting the program at the rookie level of $2 or more per month. Again, thanks so much for your support, Blaine. And that will do it for today. If you are enjoying this podcast, please be sure to rate and review it wherever you download your podcast from. Join us back here next Thursday for another episode of Philo Vance, but coming up tomorrow, we've got an adventure with the man with the action-packed expense account where... Not bad for a young man. I was proud of Ben. Yeah, I know, Ed. And then that accident last month. Foggy night, he missed a curve. Drove his car off a cliff into the Pacific Ocean. And that was that. The end. Only it wasn't the end, or you wouldn't call me over here. No, it wasn't, Johnny. Within two weeks after Ben's death, we started getting complaints from some of our clients out there. Demands for adjustment on claims Ben had reported paid weeks before. Requests for settlements, so on. We couldn't figure it, but we went to work. Quietly. And we found out. Oh? You found out what? Ben's accounts had been doctored for a long time, Johnny. They were short. Way short. In the months before he was killed, he'd embezzled nearly $80,000 from the company. Not Ben Bryson, Ed. Anybody else, yes. But money never meant anything to Ben. Johnny, here. Here's a ticket to San Francisco. Plane leaves in two hours. Now, wait a second, Ed. I think I'd like to pass this one. Yeah, so would I, but we can't, you know that. He left a lot of questions, Johnny. They've got to be answered. And $80,000 of the company's money is missing. Has to be counted for. Yeah, I know, but maybe you ought to get somebody else, Ed. I'd be awful grateful if you'd do it, Johnny. You'd have the best chance. You knew him. He was your friend. Yeah, he was my friend. I don't know how you feel. Johnny... I hope you'll be listening for yours truly, Johnny Dollar. In the meantime, do send your comments to box13 at greatdetectives.net. Follow us on Twitter at Radio Detectives and check us out on Instagram, instagram.com slash greatdetectives. From Boise, Idaho, this is your host, Adam Graham, signing off.